Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Hi. And we are all into the Nephilim this week. We each got, each got our games in with a new format. So, uh, Robert, tell me a little bit about your game and your inaugural journey into the Nephilim waters. Well, starting with 1CP is a wonderful time in Orcs, ain't it? <laughs> I didn't know Orcs had stratagems. I think that was beyond them. <laughs> Well, I, I busted out the the old freebooters list against um, a sister's army, and realizing that I now had because I take I take an outrider detachment of that one, so I can have all my fast attack choices. So I go from six to three, and then you pay two for all the starting relics and stuff, and you go, oh, oops, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up going second in that game. Which gave me enough CP to do the cloud of smoke for the minus one to hit bubble. And I only lost Storm Boys in that first turn, which I was perfectly fine with because the Storm Boys, <laughs> they don't do nothing. That's actually sounds like a very economical use of that Storm Cloud. Yeah, it, it was an old idea that I had built off of playing Orcs um, last season where because cloud of smoke emanates off of the entire base and it hits everything within six inches. Ew. I can, I can use it off of my like war trike or something like that. So the war trike can't be targeted because it only has like nine wounds and you can just give a minus one to hit bubble off of the war trike to uh, all your speed freaks, which is most of the freebooters list that I have. But otherwise, um, it was it was very refreshing to gain a command point during every player's turn because that also allowed my sister's opponent to actually try to do things against me with like trying to get more miracle dice, trying to reroll things, and just interact with me more rather than just me fly forward and blow their army off the table. Right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I going into this weekend, I was looking at all my old games that I had logged into good old ITC Battles app, and I was like, ah, this should be a big deal. You know, I'm more of a counter-attack kind of player than I look at it. I average between seven and nine command points before turn three. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so just really thinking, okay, I gotta rethink how I play the game. This is gonna be really difficult. And um, it wasn't that, wasn't that bad. Um, Mm-hmm. Especially they said I had to. I went first in my game, so I was like, "Oh, what do I do?" Uh, so I just kind of hung out and tried to. Well, originally, oh, that was my plan was just kind of hang out and hide. But uh, the way my opponent was set up, I was like, "I'm no, I'm just going to run out and grab and see if I can win primary in the first three turns." And um, I got a, that worked actually. I got a really big lead early on, and um, it was pretty cool. But yeah. It, I, I really noticed you have to really keep track of not only your CP, the conditions for getting CP. For example, both of us lost our warlord early. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, the pipeline has been cut off. Oh, no. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah. also notice, yeah, the lack of relics and the lack of warlord traits. Really, because I went bare bones. No relics, no warlord traits to see how it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, So I had six CP to start, but oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, the um the one the mission I ended up playing abandoned sanctuaries, which I 
I actually found an interesting thing because they have the Nephilim missions in the ITC battles app. And obviously we all know that the normal primary of hold one, hold two, hold more, whatever is not scorable on the first turn. Well, the mission bonus primary doesn't have that stipulation or at least normally it doesn't. And in the ITC battles app, it didn't have the capability of scoring the abandoned sanctuaries one on the first turn. Hmm. Which made me scratch my head because I mean, neither of us got anything from it on the first turn. So it ended up not mattering, but it was just a, a head scratcher of like, that's two potential points for someone to miss out on. And obviously everyone knows that abandoned sanctuaries is the one that if you go second, you could very well just steal the game because of the bonus primary, just automatically giving you five points at the end of the game. If you hold the middle objective. Yeah, it's a pretty important thing there, but um, that has not changed. Apparently we played a conversion. So that was interesting. So you had to, uh, that's the one where you get um, two points for holding no man's lay and four points for holding your opponent minus what if you do not hold the objective in your deployment zone. And I think the stipulation was, yes, my warlord had to be on the table to get your command points. And then mm-hmm. uh, was it over? Oh, crap. I forgot what the... I think conversion is the replacement for direct assault. I think so, too. It's basically... You had to hold something in the end of your turn. I forgot there's some sort of objectives. If you hold them, you got extra points. Yeah, like if if conversion isn't the one where you lose a command point for not holding the one in your home deployment zone, then it's the one where you get. Uh, either way, we can read them up. Yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. By um, the way, the 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 girth of the Nephilim book is amazing because it also includes all the basic rules. Yeah, that was a pleasant surprise. I mean, I was first. I was just super excited to have all the secondaries in there because I was playing an opponent. I've ne- I've not played this faction since uh, LVO twenty eighteen. So I was like, "What do you do now?" And uh, so I was able to look at their secondaries, and that's always. I always feel like there's always that. Yeah, I get a I get eleven points for standing on this objective. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I don't have your codex handy. So oh, were you playing against Iron Hands? <laughs> yeah, something stupid like that. No, actually I was playing Gene Steeler Colt. Oh, the sneaky boys. Yeah. I was like, what, what what is this? So I'm like, okay, what has he got? And um so that was yeah, it was different. I was like, this is really wild. And um I made a I, two critical errors and the biggest one related to the new Nephilim book. Make sure you tr- keep track of your opponent's um, CP. Because I my guys came out of the webway and I was like I can kill those or I can make a longer charge and kill those. If I make the longer charge I will have a chance to really lock down a uh, objective on the upper left side of the board. But if I charge the other guys, that's my biggest threat. He's coming after. He's going to take out my second Ravager and probably take my home objective. And I chickened out on that one because he's got six hand flamers in the unit. He didn't have any CP to do the Overwatch. I should have just charged him. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my sister's opponent, they actually maxed out a secondary that sisters have where you get points for doing miracles against me. 
Ew. Okay. So that one can only score a maximum of 12, but it was very much a, all right, cool. You get one during your turn. You get two points for using a miracle die in your opponent's turn. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it's a really neat secondary. I'll have to reread it to make sure that we were doing it right. But I have a feeling that we definitely were because I, I had to, we had to go back and edit it like two or three times as I was reading it. Mm. <laughs> I made a big mistake. I made a big mistake on secondaries as well. I took assassination and the new, uh, oh, it's on purge. I think it's uh, take them on live. It's a new Jakari version. Mm. It's like assassination. Plus you get three points for every character you kill in close combat. And trust me, there's not a lot, there's not enough shooting in a Jakari army to kill a character <laughs> and you'll get an additional point. If you kill a unit in close combat. I was like, well, duh. <laughs> oh, so at that point, it's four points on every character if Drazar walks up and, to- and pokes them. Yeah, it's max five per turn, per round rather than that. But I'm like, oh, I could have back. I don't think it would have. Yeah, I would have maxed that. T- and it doesn't conflict with either Bring It Down or um, Take No Prisoners, which is what I, I took. Mm-hmm. So not only was I, I ended up racking up over 90 wounds in damage. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, I could have gotten so many more points. What the hell's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the event that you end up playing something like Thousand Suns or Grey Knights, you can double down on a Board of the Witch with it as well. So That's true. Yeah, so I was pretty excited about that. Yeah, overall, it was a, it was a good experience. Um, I think you're right compared to the previous week where I played a Nachman mission and my opponent unloaded nine CP worth of stuff on turn one. I was like, okay. okay. Yeah. The, um, so far the record holder. And at this point, since we're going to be mostly playing Nephilim, that record will forever stay is our friend, Mark Whitaker, who am my custodes army with no reserves, no extra stuff, no nothing. Eight, 10 CP out of me in a single turn. Oh my. That's using both interrupts, using every single defensive capability that I had. And, just so that way his warp talons did not kill Trajan and my custodian guard squad. <laughs> so Mark will forever hold that record, but I'm pretty sure the events that we have to talk about this weekend are still in the Nachman area. I would assume somebody in the book going came out this uh, Friday at midnight. Um, this is a curiosity a little moving forward. So we talk about the mid-table meta quite a bit. The big kings of the mid-tables is still Custodes, Tau, and Tyranids. Do you see that changing based on what we've seen? Um, well, I see with the points hikes that happened to Tyranids, people are obviously going to be butthurt because they got, one, a points increase. Two, they got a big nerf in the balanced data slate where your adaption is no longer game to game. It's something that you have to put into your list just like pay, like pre-picking psychic powers and stuff and some other balanced things that probably happened over time. But the, the big thing is definitely Tyranids will still be a boogeyman. They are still really, they are still a really efficient army for someone. Cause I actually played against, um, well, yeah, I played against Tyler before the Nephilim book came out and before the balance up sheet, the balance data slate came out. And they're not unbeatable. I still got 51 points against him, but it is very much the issue of that book is just overtuned 
and that's just how they wrote it. There's nothing we can do about it. Custodes and Tau, I think Custodes might fall into a lower bracket. Sure, we get extra CP and we can still surprise people with our efficiency, but we're not as aggressively efficient as Tau. We're obviously not as efficient as Tyranids. And then uh, Eldar is probably going to go to something else where we couldn't handle Hail of Doom because they wound us all on fives anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure what to say about Eldar just yet. There's there's quite a few nerfs. I think the biggest thing was the drop in CP to start the game. Oh, yeah. So I think that was probably the bigger hit. But then when, for me, I mean, Harlequins are just dead. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, I could see, but in terms of using them in my lists, uh, once I saw, okay, light definitely got tuned down. You're only protecting one unit. Okay, I'm only using them as a traveling um, player's detachment. No big deal. Once they just neutered dark, I was like, what? And in case you guys missed it, they went from fight on death to if you kill them on a four plus, that model inflicts a mortal wound on the opposing unit. Oh, so they gave it a really, really toned down zealot treatment. Yeah, and I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so at that point, um, if you were to continue playing Harlequins at that point, you would probably just go to Twilight since that's the only one that didn't get touched. And then obviously there was the change to the luck of the Laughing God. Yeah, since I was always doing them as a traveling partner, I never part um, players. Excuse me, I never usually use luck of the laughing. Ugh, I can't get that word out. Luck of the laughing god is what I'm trying to say. But uh, yeah, that hurts. That's it used to be you get so many for free and roll for extra. Now you're just rolling for extra. So, I, I mean, at that point, it was very much a change that could cause a lot of things to feel better for people playing into Harlequins because your army's already toughness three with a four up invuln and usually has a whole bunch of tricks to not play by the rules of the game. So it would probably allow people to have a more enjoyable experience when they shoot 15 shots and you only fail one save. <laughs> yeah, true. But um, yeah, there's a lot of other things in there too. I was just like, oh man, that kind of stinks. But uh, we'll see how that, I mean, to have their last hurrah this past weekend, and I can spoiler alert some of our uh, tournaments we're going to talk about. Those players made the most of it while they still could. Yep, and I know the most players will continue trying to adapt to Nephilim and the balance data slate, like most players should, instead of whining and crying on the internet about it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Stop. Oh my gosh, the game's unbalanced. You need to fix it. Oh, you fixed it by rooting my unbalanced army. Sorry. (laughs) Which I actually did notice this in the custodes thing. I don't remember if it was there last time, but we can now actually use the no reroll strat on our bikes again. I did not notice that. That's pretty cool. Because I know we still can't use transhuman on them, but I couldn't remember if in the original data slate that put custodes into mid tables made so that we could only use auspice on infantry. I know we can only use transhuman, but it was probably something that I just missed and that I didn't notice. I've been forgetting it probably would have saved my bikes almost entirely. One thing I did notice as well that kind of slid under the radar was um, with the change to engage in all fronts. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
So now you have to be six inches away from the other table quarters. Guess where 15 of the 21 usual positions for objection, ob, objectives are. Not six inches away. You got it. They're exactly within three inches. So yeah, if you're on an objective, you're too close to the other quarters for both R&D and engage. So good luck doing both. That's significant. Mm -hmm. I looked at that one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely going to make engage on all fronts not a automatic pick for most people. Right. Hey everyone, Eric from the Exterminatus Podcast to tell you about the Smite Club Open. That's right, coming up this September 10th and 11th at the Bell Bank Park Fieldhouse in Mesa, Arizona. 128 players. We got six rounds, a ton of venues all around the particular area. To buy your tickets, you can get them at smiteclub40k.com backslash store. That's smiteclub40k.com backslash store. Tickets right now are $60, but if you wait uh, beyond August 10th, they do go back up to $70. So get your tickets now. If you've been to our Scorched Earth Open, expect even more from this particular event. Once again, Smite Club Open, September 10th and 11th. Hope to see you there. So I think we should uh, we'd hop over over to, I think it's Massachusetts. Or... Is it? Marble Mass, yes. I had a... Or am I watching... in the wrong state? <laughs> nope, you're in your right state. Uh, it's funny because I've been... Um indulging in the Stanley Cup finals. They just completed uh, as we're recording this. And the guy that is now the head announcer for ESPN was the announcer when I was growing up for the local um, Boston station. So not only did he used to do the Bruin play-by-play, -play, but they also used to do peewee hockey you know, for, for between periods. And he would do the highlights for them as well. They had like this little um, condensed tournament that they would show so i'm just listening to him when his, his, hear his voice so, today we go to marble massachusetts where we talk to the you know there's all the different teams and it's just all the crazy names they have and all the uh, native american names they have in massachusetts i was just like oh that'd be pretty cool so mm -hmm. uh anyway but, but yeah so we go to the webway games i think that's where all the webway gates went eric that's why you didn't have one for a long time. Well, I have one now, so I have there. <laughs> you could not, you couldn't hold me back, man. <laughs> but um, so the top five people we have Steve Pamprine. That's a name we haven't heard in a long time this season, I think. And more shocked, he's playing Grey Knights. What happened to the Orcs? Oh, see, what it is is they, the Orcs clubbed the Grey Knights on the head. And then it's like five grots in a jumpsuit that are in the Grey Knight armor. Just clink, 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 clink. Yeah, that could be it. But I'm still like, dude, Bilbo Baggins, what's going on here? But in fourth place, we have Ben Swain with Loyalist, so Loyal Knights. Um, we have Paul Woodman with Dark Angels. We have Ramsey's Alcade with Osir Yanni. And then we have Daniel Holmuth with specifically Yanari. Yeah, so with a name like that, you know he's from Massachusetts. Love you, Daniel. Uh, not quite as uh, regal as Ramsey's Elkade. That sounds like an Indiana Jones villain. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yep, let's hope he's not the villain that opens up the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Ark of the Covenant, exactly. <laughs> Actually, what is Ramsey's playing? He's playing Thousands? No, he's playing a Suriani. <laughs> Pretty funny. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. looking for... Looking for Kukurat's bow. Take it from me, Miss Dr. Jones. Anyway, moving on. So 
Daniel's list is a single battalion detachment. Well, a single battalion plus an auxiliary support detachment. Um, so it's Yanari with a Warlock Skyrunner, the Incarn, a Farseer Skyrunner, a unit of Rangers, a man, a 15 man unit of Guardian Defenders, five Cobblelight Warriors, two units of Striking Scorpions. Um, one of them has the Crushing Blows upgrade. Um, two units of Howling Banshees. Um, one has Piercing Strikes, and one of them is given an extra relic of the Crone Scream. And judging by his list, it looks like the Webway Games was actually using Nephilim because he starts with zero CP. Oh, no, that's an eight. I can read. <laughs> um, you're reading in my tongue tied today. We're doing great. <laughs> yeah, professional podcasting. Uh, <laughs> then he has a nine man unit, uh, a 10 man unit of Dire Avengers. A, well, no, that's nine man because I think the sergeant has two of them. I think I don't remember. Um, a unit of two warlocks, a single viper, a 10 man unit of swooping hawks, a unit of three shining spears with the Kane's Lance relic and heart strike. So obviously super stabby. Yeah. Um, mortal wounds on five ups, I think, to wound. Yeah. Again, super stabby. Yep. So we have a single warwalker. We have a unit of three support weapons with three D cannons. And then the auxiliary support, auxiliary support detachment of just Jane's R. And then the webway gate. So looking ahead, obviously he won this event and congratulations, but just thinking ahead is an auxiliary support detachment for bringing a, a must needed character. Is that worth the two extra CP? Well, I mean, looking over his list, so he has eight CP overall because obviously he, this is still Nachmund, so it's his battalion's free. He spends one extra relic on the Skyrunner. Well, the Warlock Skyrunner, he spends another CP for the Crone Scream. So that's one, two, three, four for the Auxiliary Support Detachment. And then, yeah, the Webway Gate to do all the fun Deep Strike stuff. So if you take this list and put it into Nephilim, this is instantly a zero CP list. Hold on, so that's what I was looking at. Um... He spent, I think he gets two because the fortification is actually free because mm -hmm. it's the same as his um, warlord. But you're, yeah, but loses two for the attachment. Oh, you know what I'm thinking? I, I forgot. Yeah, you're right. So uh, the Kurgras bow, um, the crones, that's two lore there. The warlord hunt. Oh, yeah, you're right. Ugh. And hold up a minute. Um, the Sunstorm, Kurnos's Bow, Crone Scream, and Kane's. Is he allowed to have four relics in a list? Let's take a look. Because he pays one for the Crone Scream. He pays one for the Sunstorm. The Farseer Skyrunner has the Kurnos Bow. And then it's the Shining Spears that have Kane's Lance. I believe Kane's Lance is an upgrade on the unit. Okay, because it's just listed. Oh, it is a relic. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Hmm. Let me look, flip go, to my Eldari Codex here. Yep. We go from a competitive podcast to a Sherlocking podcast about Warhammer lists. <laughs> hmm. 
I don't know if this might have just been an oversight for him or not, but it's definitely like if he can take extra relics on Exarchs, then yeah, like that's perfectly fine, I guess. I don't know the Eldar book well enough to answer yeah, that. Yeah, same way. Uh, that is the Screaming Banshees. Let's check that one first. Oh, here's the Shining Spears. Let me see. Laser Lance, Paragon Blade. Okay, that looks like it'd be a relic. Then look up. up. <laughs> so, I am attempting to find my my Warhammer app. Banshees. There we go. Aha. Going through the same thing here. Looks as if I'm not sure if it's a like I said. I think it might be a Exarch upgrade as opposed to an actual relic. Yeah, but um, look at the relics here. Just make it a little faster. Crescendo Crown Scream is a full blown relic. And then Kane Slates is a full ball relic. So maybe Kane's Lance, because yeah, it's Karnas's bow That'd be and free. Sunstorm. Let's see, Sunstorm or Sunstorm. It's a relic that you can give to a Warlock Skyrunner. Oh, yeah, look at that. Don't know. All right. Hmm. Mm, so there's four, there's six. Yeah, this would be a zero. Anyway, long story short, this would be a zero CP list to start on turn zero, on turn one. So, eh. yeah. Um, if it ends up being an actual legal list, but we won't worry about that because sometimes mistakes happen of just forgetting to take off a relic because you changed something. Um. And it's not why I picked this list either, just to be fair. I, I just what I wanted to discuss was the idea of taking the auxiliary support. Cause um I was thinking about doing something similar, you know, sneaking in Drazar into my list. So I was like, oh, is a powerhouse character like that worth two points? And I know you play orcs as people can do the same thing with Gaz. So is, is that sort of is that worth it? Well, I mean, Gaz gets to, um, if you want to bring Gaz, you just bring a Supreme Command attachment because he has the Supreme Commander keyword. Oh, I forgot he had that. That's right. Um, but the orc list that people would bring back in Nockmund would, you would bring a auxiliary detachment of snake bites to bring um, Mazrod Scragbad, which is the snake bite specific beast boss on Squigasaur, who does, who would only really benefit himself but you bring him as another like character beat stick because he gets more attacks and does more moral wounds than a normal beast boss does with less investment. That makes sense. But otherwise, it is definitely a sign that whatever happened here at this event, there are no there are no Tyranids period in the top ten placing of this event. Oh my. The first Tyranids is Robert Davis in 14th. And we 
the most popular faction in top 10 as a keyword is Eldar. There is a total of three of them. And there's also a Sisters player in 10th place, Chaos Knights in 8th, Tau in 7th, and then Thousand Suns and Grey Knights. And then Dark Angels made it into 3rd place. Interesting. So yeah, obviously the meta there is probably a little different, but it changed up enough with the balanced data slate to actually impact a meta somewhere. Yep. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. All right, ready to head out west? Yep, I, I think we get to um, head to, I think it's Idaho. Indeed. Uh, good old Boise Cup 40K. Your top five looks something like this. Uh, ben Cromwell with Necrons on T-Direct coming in fifth place. Uh, Tana Lowerman with High Fleet Leviathan coming in fourth. Matt Johansson, a former Scorched Earth Open champion with Harlequins coming in third. Tom Cohen coming in second with Imperial Knights. And uh, first place uh, with Tyranids is McKay Griffin, going a perfect 5-0 and at 462 points over the weekend. So looking at his list, the first thing I see that is really funny is it's called Oops All Spore Mines. Nice. I like this already. <laughs> yep. Um, so it's it says he starts with six command points, but the patrol says it's attachment eight, so obviously it looks like they're still playing Knockbund. Um, da, 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 da. hive mind of some ability reference. Yeah, <laughs> two extra warlord traits. Yeah, it's that one right there. Yep, in game yeah, type. Blah, 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 blah. So he's still Leviathan. That's what matters. Um, he has a Tyrion Prime along with some Tyrant Guard and a unit of Zone Thropes. Stupid brain bugs. Um, Would you like to been... learn more? <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> Trajan survived a laser beam from three of them. It was annoying. Anyway, um, he has a walking hive tyrant. He has a neurothrope. He has a brick of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Tyranid warriors. Two of them have venom cannons. He has a single maliceptor, three venom thropes. He has the parasite of Mortrex. Um, he has biovores. He has two harpies. And then a fortification network. What? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, he brought a spore assist. Ah, I get it. The spore assist is a shooting battery to generate spore mines, so that way he can traffic armies where he wants them to go. And he has an auxiliary support detachment of a winged hive tyrant that has all the fixins. Holy cow. So yeah, it this kind of list is actually something that I'm surprised more people don't try to do because the harpies can drop spore mines and the spore assist obviously launches spore mines out at people. So, and the virovores can also fire spore mines. So you can create a lot of table control with the fact that these spore mines are technically enemy units. So you can't go within an inch of them. I gotta look this up. What is this thing? <laughs> 
This is definitely something we haven't seen in like craziness. <laughs> mm hmm. I've played against the. Tyler has done more of the. Tyler Hepler has done more of the zoning control with like concentrated fire and then like spawning ripper swarms and other like just zone, like zone threats and whatnot. Um, a teammate of ours, Matt Baugh has played with the harpies and stuff like that, dropping spore mines, creating speed bumps. So that way we can't go to certain places without either a taking mortal wounds or B making an absurdly long charge over them. If we fly and I guess C we shoot, we waste resources shooting the spore mines. <laughs> All right. So they have these seed spore mines, uh, this model may perform the following action at the start of your movement phase. It's not even in the shooting phase. Good grief. Um, once Warsus bottle from your army can perform this action, the action is complete at the end of the phase. When it's completed, set up a new friendly spore binds unit containing six models or a friendly mucleid spores bind unit containing one model on the battlefield. The unit must be set up more than six inches away from enemy models and wholly within 18 inches of the original spore assist. Uh, if you are playing a game that uses points limits, the unit does not, uh, does not cost any reinforcement points. Mm -hmm. Ow. Yep. And because of the fact that it spawns a unit of normal spawn lines with six models, you can do some really obnoxious traffic control it's because it's still six models, so you can still have two-inch coherencies across the entire unit. Ew. Yeah, it's it's a really neat way to play, and you can kind of zone out objectives you don't exactly want people to go to without overcommitting, and you can catch them out. So, Wow, that's pretty clever. Yeah, I haven't seen a list like this in a while, because it used to be the, the Biovores used to launch all the Spore Mines. And that was a way to kind of, yeah, but it was, I think it was back in the day when you still had templates. So you, you flamethrowers are kind of like, just like out of aliens, you just kind of clear them off pretty easily. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, cool. So, and a familiar, a familiar name of ours actually attended here. Um, You remember Lee Harris, the guy who showed up with custodes down here at Scorched Earth, right? That's correct. Yep. He actually hopped over to a whole bunch of evil-looking robot dudes. He brought Chaos Knights to this event this time. Pretty cool. I think he ran all knights at um, Akatio, actually. I think they were Imperial Knights back then. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. No, this one, he's running the um, 3, 6, 10. Yeah, he's running a one big stompy and a 10 little stompy robot variant, yeah. which, which is neat to see. But Congratulations to McKay Griffin for winning the Boise Cup. It's a very classic event from what I've heard. I've heard the name several times. I've never been because I don't think I have a reason to go to Idaho, except for potatoes. <laughs> Even then, you can get them in your grocer's freezer. But um, Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Quick shout out to two friends of the show. 11th place, Thomas Hex from Oakley uh, with interesting not Blood Angels, but he's playing Ulithe, so I got to... See what what's up with that, and then Rich Kilton still playing the orcs. He's just playing Death Skulls, coming in thirteenth place. 
Yeah, I remember hearing the war boss Rich Kilton um, talk about how he enjoys playing Death Skulls more than any other clan in Orcs because it's just how he likes playing. Oh, and cool. They, and they just happen to be super effective, but he's also been playing for a really, really long time. <laughs> so he has a humongous Orc collection for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. To just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order be sure to mention the exterminatus podcast but- all right richard what's our uh, last of robert what's our last event of the night well, we decided to bounce almost all the way to Vegas. We ended up in Reno oh, at the Rage Forty K GT. All right, let's pull that up here. Dun, so, dun. here in fifth place, we have Paul McClevy. Well, McKelvey with Tau. I know I butchered that last name twice. I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> um, Mr. BCP. <laughs> So he was playing Tau. And then we have Jason McKenzie playing Admech. Booga, 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 booga. How is that possible? I don't know. Uh, we have Aurelia Carrera playing Chaos Knights. We have Chris Wallace playing Tyranids. And then we have a local friend of ours, Daniel Olivas, playing Harlequins, going undefeated at the event. Woohoo! Yeah, nice to see one of our teammates take it home. A uh, quick look at his list here. Interesting. I'll, see, I'll be curious to see what he does in the future. But interesting enough, you hit it right on the head, Robert. Uh, he's playing Twilight uh, with his Harlequins. Mm-hmm. This was very much the same thing that he brought to Atlantic City Open, and he came in ninth there. <laughs> like Dan knows what he's doing with Harlequins. So Dan's list is a Shadow Seer. Two troop masters, a brick of I think it's eleven bodies for a troop, and then one, two, three, four, five more minimum troop squads. A single death gesture, a solitaire, three void weavers, one, two, three, four, five star weavers, and then he brought the webway gate. Yeah, he's very masterful with the webway gate and learning how to play it. And um, this is a very different approach than when I've seen a lot of other people talk about it. It's just, again, it's one of those differences with the theory hammer versus getting reps at the tabletop. It's, it really shows there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I've heard Dan talk about his list before, it's he's speaking English and you know you don't need to know calculus to understand what his list does but you can never be prepared for it when he would talk about what he, the way he played at Atlantic city 
was very much yeah no this 11-man troop squad just hops out of freaking nowhere and it touches your army and that portion of your army just evaporates to this 11-man troop squad and you never know why because you can't do anything about it it's just what <laughs> yeah well i think the key the secret sauce that he um to that as well is most people just put randomly put the web gate as far forward as possible you know it's it's not an alpha strike platform it is a counter strike and the idea is you want it so it's as close to as many objectives as possible so therefore if you challenge an objective his counterattack, you can't stop it if you're within six inches you're charged with a no overwatch but even so they come out for six inches still get a charge off it's it's pretty brutal and i actually it, I did had some experience with it with my game on Friday with the against the Jinsia Cult player, and it, it works great if you really have to practice the uh, player place terrain so you know leave yourself enough room. So mm-hmm. the the one list I do actually want to look at is um, the fourth place guy there, um, Jason McKenzie, with his Admech, because this is the first time we've seen Admech even come back to anywhere exactly. after the amount of nerfs that they got. Yep. So. I got it open. <laughs> yep, I already had it open. So he is playing cool. Mars from, and he's still playing the the Skatari veteran cohort. So he's already paying a premium on premium on some of his units. Um, and it looks like he ends up starting with something like six command points after everything is said and done. So he would literally be starting with negative two command points. Hmm. <laughs> For Nephilim. So you might have to lose some stuff in this list. Um, but he has a tech priest engineer. He has two marshals. He has a tech priest manipulus, a brick of 16 rangers. Well, 15 rangers, I can count. Um, another unit of five rangers, a brick of 20 Skatari Vanguard, another minimum unit of five, and then one unit of five infiltrators, and then two units of 10 Rust Stalkers two Iron Strider Bellastari with the last cannons so they can actually shoot stuff. Two units of minimum Cerberus Raiders. I believe those are the horsies. And then a Archetype Fusilov and an Archetype Stratoraptor. So one of each of the flyers that kind of did stuff and they both have their chaff launchers. Yay, minus one damage. <laughs> it's amazing this actually went out of style. So... I don't know. I think I have to kind of revisit that book again and find out what it is that made it. Yeah, they nerfed quite a few things, but some of those nerfs have finally lifted. So I don't know. Maybe this will be the return. Not sure. Um, Well, I know Mars is the original Forge World that you get to re-roll a single wound roll, I think. It's either a to hit or a to wound roll for Mars. And I know the big nerf that happened was originally like the Bell, the Iron Strider Bellstar, had the core keyword and that got taken away from them because of the fact that they were benefiting hugely from sitting next to a marshal and just re-rolling essentially three dice every single time they shot something. Right. I just got to remember that the, um, I believe it's Mars also, the Colt Mechanicus units and the Skatari units benefit from uh, the that oh, Shrob song, what the I can't think of it now, the name of it, but the their kind of roving ability per turn 
So, yeah, the um, the Canticles is what that's Canticles. How I remember. That's it. Yeah, Canticles. It's like it's not directives. It's not protocols. What's it called? It's Canticles. Yeah. So it's it's refreshing to see that they have come back because obviously he has the two incredibly large bricks of infantry and Adamek was always one of those armies that if it got to f- brute force the math against you, it would win every time because you could get stuff to hit on twos. You could reroll stuff. You could generate mortal wounds on things. Like if you let the math win, Adamek wins the game period. Yeah. Um, the, the big things though, that I think do, a lot of work are the two units of rust stalkers. Cause I know Richard Siegler was a big proponent of trying to play this large amount of rust stalkers or infiltrators or something like that. And he, I believe that was the list that he took to LVO and won it last and won it for this year. Yeah. Yeah. The key to that was he took those with the, not the Rangers, the other one, the Vanguard uh, units, because they have a uh, aura of minus one toughness. So all of a sudden, the uh, the Rust Stalkers just hit, hit harder, and Infiltrators just hit a lot harder than they should. So. Yeah. But yeah, it is definitely very refreshing to see the angry Robo Sages come back and try to steal everyone's toasters. <laughs> yeah, a couple other notables outside the top five. Uh, ben Jurek, friend of the show. Came in 11th and um, Joshua Gene. <laughs> yes. All capitals again, uh, 15th place. And Daniel Jurek coming in uh, 19th place. So good to see all our friends doing well at this particular event. Yep, definitely indeed. So just a quick look. Now it's our final look at the standings as of the Nahmun season. We kind of discussed last week about the idea of the season ending and giving out awards. So this is as close as we're going to get. And uh, so the top 10 as presented so far. And of course we'll have the expanded statistics and going along with that as well. So, and the only place to get that would be the Exterminatus podcast. As I said last time, why is that? Do you have some crazy technology? No, I'm just that stupid to do it by hand. So, <laughs> yep, pen, paper, brain, headache, coffee. Yeah, equals statistics. <laughs> so, I do have the top ten up here already. While you pull up all your statistic mumbo jumbo. All right, so we do notice when we were doing the statistic mumbo jumbo, there is a gentleman who uh, moved into the top 10, and there appears to be an error. So we're not really sure if this is accurate or not, but basically one of his events was counted twice. So it's not an error on his part, solely on the ITC, and they're, um, they'll, hopefully they'll fix this. So we'll go ahead and read this as assuming that he does not have double points for winning a GT. And so looking at your 10th place person, that would be Brad Chester, uh, finally merging in to the top 10 after a really good run in under Nachmund. Uh, ninth place would be Anthony Vanella. Eighth place would be Brenton Weiss. Seventh place, Anthony Birdsong. Sixth place, Matt Robertson. Fifth place, Thomas Ogden. Innes Wilson comes in at fourth. David Gaylard, who was your top player for most of the season, drops to third. Manny Chima, the man of a thousand armies, in second. And congratulations, your Nachmund season winner, 
It's none other than Vic Vijay with 1,344 points. A uh, very interesting run. A quick look at Vic Vijay's uh, expanded statistics here. He was had 40 wins, 6 losses during his run and was in a position to win the tournament 38% of the time when he arrived at any tournament he attended. And then his average first loss was uh, round 4.4, so a little bit more than four rounds if he did drop a loss, and he did end up winning three tournaments during his run. Uh, there were one, two, three, four players, uh, David Gaylord, Manny Chima, Thomas Ogden, and Innes Wilson, who took top honors by winning four events during the Nachman season. Interesting enough, Anthony Birdsong talk about just grinding out points. 34 and 10, and uh, never did win an event during the Nachman season, but still was able to get himself into seventh place in the top 10. So just mm-hmm. knocking on the door there to, to really jump up in standings. And then, um, as I mentioned, Vic Vijay also had 40 wins. That's the most of anybody in the top 10 during that time period. But the scariest thing, I'm still going to go back to it. Mike Porter, I know he dropped down to 11th with uh, Brad Chester knocking him out of the top 10. Mike Porter, 20 wins, one loss. Every tournament he was in it to win it every time he was there. And his average first loss was sixth round. The only one better than that is Manny Chima, 6.3. And then Thomas Ogden at seven. So when he, Thomas Ogden went 30 and one. Uh, was in a winning position 80% of the time. But yeah, he if he did lose a game, it wasn't until the finals. Absolutely insane. Yeah, like looking over Mike Porter's actual record, there are only two numbers, one and two, and that is literally it. So when you look at his top six events, the one event that is actually holding him back is his second place um, finish at the Team Stone, the um, the 36 chambers major when he brought custodes mm-hmm. and he came in second. Yeah. So actually. that's still 200 points though. Yeah. Yeah. When a second place finish is holding you back, it gives you an idea. So it's just been, it was a really good season and our, just some dominating force, but it's interesting that, you know, top 10 dominated by British players. And um, so I'll be curious to see if it seems like, uh, the COVID situation should be a thing of the past at this point. So the, the, the stretch run is on. We're already entering the first week of July. So we'll see some more of the larger American events coming in, and hopefully we'll see some new faces to help uh, challenge the top spot. Yep. I know um, on a personal note, I know I'm in like 700th place in the ITC or something like that. It's not special. It's not that cool. But for faction-wise, I'm 105th in Custodes. Like, if if you're in that position, we still have half the season left to go. If if anyone can win an event and be there, you could very well go to LVO in, in January and come back with a best in faction trophy still. Like, there's still time to get events and, and place well. Yeah, there's quite a bit of still opportunities out there. Also looking at some of the regional rankings, there's still plenty of room there as well. So although we're starting a new season, um, also think of it as a complete reset. You know, some of these guys may not be able to adapt and uh, to the new season. So this might be your chance to shine. Yep, be a problem solver. Don't be a griper. <laughs> Absolutely. No, there's some, some really great opportunities with this new set. And uh, we're looking forward to... Uh, 
making all that happen. So, Robert, any other parting thoughts? Uh, you mentioned uh, new paints coming out, uh, Chaos Space Marine Codex. We talked about that at length last week. Um, any other nuggets, if you may have heard about the new Codex that you're expected to see? Um, everything the Codex Chaos Space Marines has a one-up unmodifiable armor save. They have a leadership of 2,000. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. No. Um, otherwise, like in general, for news-wise, there hasn't been really much that has piqued my interest so far because Codex Space, uh, Chaos Space Marines was obviously the big thing. Um, I really want to see what they do for Chaos Demons and see how that works. So that way, maybe soup can still happen with armies. Otherwise, Chaos Demons just, I hope, doesn't fall flat on its face. Well, second days look semi-promising. I'm hoping they'll just copy the same mechanic for traveling players for Harlequins for Demons, so you can throw them in uh, that way. But... Um... I think what's interesting for me for the Chaos Space Marines is it feels like each of the legions actually play different, which is really nice. I think before it was a time of, okay, I take this, you know, you souped in as many legions as you could to kind of just do what they do best for their specialty role. But um, I'm not sure. I just look at my army and it's like it's so out of date at this point between all the new models that have come out. And you really need a fair number of cultists to really play the game. It used to be you kind of had your, either went all cultists and Abaddon to make sure they didn't run away, or you went, you know, just kind of one big blob type thing. Now you you can kind of actually run kind of a three and three, you know, three cast space ring um, units to, and then three cultist squads to help you do mission stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, it's a very different army. And uh, so it's interesting to see how it's going to play. Yeah, I know the one that has kind of piqued my interest in the fact that you can do silly stuff with your army is Iron Warriors. Uh, the idea that you can just go, oh, yeah, no, I sacrifice a cultist and shove it into, I think it was like a Terminator suit or something like that. Like mm-hmm. you can kill a cultist to resurrect a model. Like it's just okay. Yeah, that's some cool stuff. Alpha Legion's got some really sh- nifty shenanigans. But for me, the biggest one, them and Black Legion have it, where they basically take a, a primary objectives off the board. Yeah, I know it's kind of like a heart, like you have to jump through a few hoops in order to do it, I think. I we hope so. You know how powerful that is? <laughs> yeah, like, I really hope you have to finish it at the, like you start it at the start of the movement phase and you finish it at the end of your next command phase. Like you have to live through literally an entire turn. Can't move. But I was lucky enough to be able to pre-order a copy of it. So I'll probably have it a few days after it comes out. I at least hope so. Well, fingers crossed on that, but yeah, it's um, there's also plenty of reviews already online. So check those out if you can. In the meantime, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, My name's Eric. I'm Robert. And this has been the Exterminus Podcast.